From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, along with Amber Servany, special guest, Dr. Bill Mordock from Little Flower, also a clinical psychologist. Dr. Mordock, thanks for coming in on Dive Deep. Well, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And we are so glad you are here because, let's be honest, the past several months have been chaos in so many people's lives with with covid uh we've we've seen uh, the injustice on the racial side of things across our country we're going to get into that but first we're going to talk about covid because we want to get your perspective and and this podcast is geared toward you parents you grandparents you educators on how to talk to your children about covid especially as we enter back into the school year and also for parents if you've been overly stressed how do you cope with that uh, so a multitude of issues uh, to get in uh, and get your, your fascinating perspective uh, from the clinical side and from an educator side. And the first thing I just want to talk about is, you know, I, th- I have three children. My, my wife teaches at Christ the King, and the past several months have been beyond stressful. Uh, trying to balance, you know, the, the Zoom meetings, working from home, teaching your kids, the uncertainty of the future. Um, and I know as we, we look to next year, things are looking like, you know, things will we'll be in school barring a massive surge in, in the virus. So we're at least comforted in knowing that, that school is going to be open. It's going to look way different. Uh, but when you hear all these, these parents and, and the stress levels and things like that, I guess what, what's your take on all this, first of all? And, and maybe what's, what's some of your advice for some of us parents who are just like, we're feeling like dragged and down big time? Well, first of all, I uh, totally agree that it has been a topsy-turvy last several months. And it began in March uh, this past winter. And March 13th, we were in school. We were told that afternoon, about 2.30, that on Monday, we would not be in school. And it uh, really put a burden on schools to transition from on-campus learning to distance learning. And some schools made the transition smoothly, easily, uh, and some schools really struggled with their rollout of distance learning. What we tried to do at Little Flower was create a situation where we, number one, keep the children engaged in the learning process during that time, and number two, realize that at that time, families were going to be really stressed out economically, job-wise, Uh, health-wise, the whole thing, so we didn't want to put undue burden on the parents. So to to find the sweet spot of educating children, keeping children uh, on board, and yet not adding to the burden of the parents, that was our aim. And, uh, you know, I think we did okay with that as as we look back that two and a half months ago. And for for us parents, I mean, I always use the adage like, we're just doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. But But sometimes I just feel not satisfied. Or, or, or do you have advice for us parents? Because this pandemic is the coronavirus is going to continue for a while, and things are going to look different for a long time. Especially as you know, we enter school, thing, things are things are going to look different in August, and, and how schools are going to have to adapt. And do we have to wear masks? No masks. Different drop off times. You know, what is what's lunch going to look like? Gym? I mean, this, there's a whole slew of things that are going to look different. So I say we're doing the best we can, but it, from a psychology standpoint, it is. Do we have to change the way we're, am I thinking about this wrong or, or what's your advice for the parents who are just beyond stressed on, on how to deal with all this? Well, I think parents need to uh, focus on their priorities. You know, parents needed to and need to figure out, okay, what's important now? 
what is the most important thing in your family to keep the family together? And education of children is part of that, but that may not be the primary thing at the, at the time. So uh, looking back on that, you know, parents didn't get trained to be educators, and yet that was one of the demands, right, with distance learning, yeah. is that you had to be, or somebody there had to be, for this to work effectively, teaching your kids, or be there when they were on Zoom meetings, or figuring out the technology to do it. Some parents could manage it fairly well. Most were just like, oh my goodness, I, I can't do it. They felt like failures. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I got feedback on early on and just kind of thought about and realized what was going on in these houses. Uh, I had to make sure my faculty understood that. Here, here's another thing. You know, if you're a teacher who's got control of your classroom and all of a sudden there's no control because they're all out there in these individual houses how much to expect, what the expectations were. I had to reel some teachers back in as to say, hey, look, we, parents have to determine now what's going to be the best thing for their children at this point and for their families. So your question about, okay, what's the parents' role in all this and how should they feel about all this? Well, I think a lot of parents felt overwhelmed. They felt ineffectual. They felt like they were failures. Uh, a lot of nights they, they couldn't balance everything. It was overwhelming. Uh, others put it in perspective. They're like, okay, this is an unreal. Think about There's never been a time in my lifetime, and I'm older than Amber and older than you are. It's uh, never been anything like this where we had to flip our houses. Hey, and then look at it from a kid's point of view. You know, the first week, hey, we're out of school. It's great. You know, I don't have to go to school tomorrow. The first week. Some kids felt like, Okay, it's summer vacation. Mm -hmm. Other kids, for the first week, it's new, it's different. Then they felt, as you mentioned, Amber, early early on when we talked before the airing, uh, they're like little emotional sponges. So they were feeling what the parents were feeling. Okay? And, And it's confusion, fear, anxiety. They soaked all that up. And so the second week, the third week, and not not seeing their friends... I mean, it was an unreal world. So it, it really made it be where everybody had to make adjustments. Principals made adjustments, faculties, parents, kids. We were all forced to make major adjustments in how we dealt with things. Even something as small as who's get, what time you get up in the morning. Uh, what time, you know, a lot of kids, high school kids, everything was flipped. They stayed up all night. They got up at 3 in the afternoon. It re- and that drove the parents crazy. This put a lot of stress on families just mm-hmm. to stay connected and stay on the same page and not have the conflict really hit crescendos in the homes. So there's some, there's some mechanisms to, to deal with that stress um, that maybe me as a parent, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about. I mean, I, I, again, I say the adage of we're just doing the best we can, but sometimes I, it's your point. I feel like, well, even when I say that, I still feel defeated. Uh, am I just, am I still thinking about it wrong or is it just, it is still that like, listen, just it is do the best you can. And okay. just, it's important once in a while as, uh, as a dad, as a husband, as a couple, to pull back and see the big picture and to understand what is going on nationally, understand what's going on in our community of Springfield or whatever community uh, you live in, and then into your own family. So 
big picture. Okay, everybody's in this. What are we trying to do this week, this month, this day? And to keep it in perspective. Because if we lose our perspective because of what's going on that day, or we missed a Zoom meeting, or we didn't get an assignment turned in, it all becomes conflict. It all becomes overwhelming. But if you get out and look at the big picture of, hey, wait a minute. Let's assume that our children don't learn as much over these next two months or this next month. Uh, what does that really mean? Well, most kids are going to catch up in the fall. Uh, you know, if you lose a lot, maybe even in the summer we can get some tutoring. It, how much are we really losing here? Uh, so I think keeping things in perspective is good. Talk, communicating is so important. You know, in terms of uh, if you're in a two-parent family, both parents being able to talk and compare notes and, and uh, support one another, so important. You're on the same team. Make sure you have the same goals. Once in a while, reflect and, uh, and reassess what those goals should be. And then with the kids. Now we're talking here about our kids, too. <laughs> Asking them, well, what's this like not being able to see your friends? And what's this like uh, getting your assignments on a computer and having to turn them in on Google Classroom? Uh, how is this being? Uh, right. you know, for you? So the feeling part. So if, if you can keep the lines of communication open and keep the conflict to, uh, you're gonna, there's going to be some. But yeah, and I, I think you're right. The the, the big global picture, I, I don't think I've done that as well as I could have. And so that was really good advice, what you just heard. The other thing that I'll say was hurt, hurt you know, in terms of added to the stress for us, and it's my own fault, but keeping up on the news, as opposed to just maybe turning off the news or going away from the websites for a little bit. It's you, you want to know how many new cases are there? What are the new rules coming out from the, from the governor? What are new rules coming out from the president? And, and this is still ever evolving and it changes by the hour changes by the day. Right. And every day you're on your phone, like, okay, what's new, what's new, what's new. And that just kind of adds to this anxiety of, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what I feel like I've noticed. And I kind of wonder, especially like with children. So, okay, at first we were looking at short term, right? We kind of, when this all started, we thought, all right. We got a couple weeks. We got a couple weeks yeah. of this, right? So a stressful time, short period of time. But now we're a few months into this. And although in our area, it seems like things are calming down a little bit. The truth is there's a lot of still anxiety about what if this flares up again in the fall? That's what we're hearing. In fact, like that's what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, come well, all, the, all the experts have said it too. Yep, come, well, sure, I don't know. Who knows the experts that's online? True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But, Depends on the expert, okay. but yeah. Um, you know, that this is going to hit again, and then, you know, so there's just like this anxiety is not going away. So now everyone is dealing with prolonged anxiety in their life. You know, children, you know, you know, we know what it does with adults. At least I do. As an adult, you know, after so many days of being feeling stressed, you start to feel bad. You're not thinking as clearly. You're not producing as good of work. You know, same thing I would imagine happens in children, though, right? Prolonged anxiety can't be good for them. And so it's like, how do you check that and be like, okay, we don't know what's coming. We never knew it was coming. That was always the truth. But now there's this extra thing of, we not, of not knowing. Well, there's a couple aspects to what you said, Amber, that I want to talk about. First of all, the unending uh, media on this, well, it, it shifted with the racial unrest in the country. Uh, based on the George Floyd incident. But prior to that, it was COVID-19 24-7, all the time. And depending on who you listen to and what your news sources, was it national media, was it local media, was it social media? And it parents listening and how much they got, and then kids listen in a different way. 
and they listen to different sources. They're more social media savvy. So depending on who you listen to, uh, really determine how you react in some ways, what news information you got. You had to, adults have to determine which ones they believe are accurate, okay? And where do you get the truth? All this is important. Then the second part of what you said had to do with the emotional reaction to what you're hearing. And you said uh, anxiety, and early on it was fear and anxiety and a lot of confusion. And if that's, if anxiety is left untreated for a long period of time or, or you're exposed to stress and anxiety for long periods of time, it funnels into depression. And with kids in depression, sometimes it's, very observable, and what you see is what you get. And other times, it, it's insidious. It comes out di- latent in different ways. Uh, acting out, uh, it could come in the form of headaches or stomach aches. So there's a, I think, we're not going to know until probably the fall what the toll is going to take on what happened in March and how we're, we're right in the middle of it right now. And it could flare up again. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping the worst is behind us. I'm kind of an optimistic thinker. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to have a second wave. But we've got to be ready for everything. And be ready means, in my mind, as an educator, but also as a psychologist, okay, what do we anticipate is going to happen to our, our kids and our communities and our schools in the fall? And uh, I would say that... It's something that bears watching, monitoring, and of concern. Now, if we bring it down to the level of parenting, if you're in your own house, it's just knowing your children and knowing if they're having what I would term as an ab reaction. Okay, is there something extraordinary out of the norm for my child? uh, that, And it could be reaction to these things that are going on in our nation that's taking a toll on your child. It could be distractibility, anger, irritability, and these are things that all kids manifest from time to time, but if it's, uh, if it's exaggerated, intense, if it doesn't go away in a period of day or two, uh, it's something to then wonder about, hey, do I need to be taking some action? So you touched on a lot of things in, in your question. Um, and when you were talking, what struck me is how uh, significant it is for um, educators, leaders, parents to really have sort of optimistic thinking or, you know, not even thinking expressions because right. your children are in fact absorbing that. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying to be dishonest, right? But like if you, what you just said is like you truly innately like I'm going to be an optimistic thinker about this and then that, you know, goes to your staff and then, you know, their kids and families, et cetera. So you almost, you almost have to change, change your mentality to, to Amber's point. So, so if you don't want to pass this anxiety onto your children, oh, yeah. you almost have to, you as a parent have to say, I'm going to make a conscious effort to turn off the media, to make a really active decision to change what I'm saying, to change the way I'm trying to behave around my children. Tone is so important. And everybody in the household uh, eminent, uh, has a tone that comes off of them. And during a crisis time in our country, in our community, what you want is a measured tone, a, uh, I wouldn't, uh, relax is the wrong word, but calm, nurturant kind of a tone. A, uh, you know, we've got some serious situations that we're addressing as a country right now, and to have a uh, mature, calming, reassuring kind of note 
to our kids. I think it's important to impart that and some optimism about uh, where things lie. And uh, so that's kind of the way that I've been. And uh, I think that I would encourage parents to, before you try to teach or impart something to the kids, make sure that you check yourself and that your own level of emotion is in a reasonable range, okay? Not to say that you can't be anxious or that you shouldn't be angry or worked up, but when you're trying to teach something, and a lot, these are teachable moments. You know, crises, and we're in the midst of a couple of them right now as a country, uh, they're teachable times. They're opportunities to make things better. Uh, you know, if race relations, we, we, uh, we want to grow as a country. We want to uh, eliminate discrimination and um, stereotyping and such. Uh, it, it's an opportunity. So we need to keep our wits about us and, uh, and act in a uh, calm, educated, mature way. And I think we can get our kids to rise up and take these lessons. So a big question I have as a parent, come August, school's going to reopen. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to, again, barring this giant surge that we're anticipating, everything's going to be opening. Um, things are going to look drastically different though. I mentioned, okay, is, is lunch going to look different? Drop off time, sporting, gym. I mean, the whole, literally everything could look different. Mass, no mass. We don't know. Um, I think high schoolers and, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, they can understand, you know, oh, your teacher might be wearing a mask or, oh, the coronavirus is still kind of going on. So we have to drop you off 15 minutes later than normal. But I have a little, I have younger children, uh-huh. first graders on mm-hmm. down. What do you say to them when you're, they're used to going to school and, and all of a sudden their teacher might be wearing a mask or now they're not actually going to their lunchroom to eat lunch. Lunch is in their room or, or recess. You, you got to somehow keep social distance from people perhaps. Right. Uh, what do you say to those children? Well, I think you prepare them. And first, the, the first is to know what to expect and you'll get guidance from your principal at your school. So, um, you know, and I think the main thing, again, put a positive slant on it. Hey, you're going to be back in your school. That's Mm. the biggest thing, the best thing. (laughs) You're going to recognize the hallways and the classrooms. You're going to have your teacher. Except Uh, except my kids will be like, wait, I've been off for six months. I want to stay home. This has been better. (laughs) Well, hey, you got to go back to school. (laughs) You know, uh, unfortunately, actually, I think most kids are ready to be back. I agree. And uh, they miss it. Mm -hmm. They miss a lot of the aspects of school. Now, there are a subset that actually function a little better. Uh, not having to go into the school, and, but that's a small minority. Uh, but you, to get back to the question, let them know what to expect. Here's, the, here's what's going to happen. Lunch it might be a little bit different. I'm not sure what that's going to be. Uh, there, might ha- there definitely is going to be prob- uh, social distancing and maybe a temperature check before you go into the school or in your classroom. So there'll be some things that will be different than what you experienced before. Mentally prepare them for it and just say, hey, within a day or two, you'll adjust to the new routine. You're going to be okay. At least you're back in school and you'll know the people. Um, The mask they're already prepared for in a way because they've seen so much of it, although there's less and less of it. Uh, Hopefully that won't be a requirement, uh, especially for a teacher because so much is uh, there's so many nonverbals that kids really rely on in terms of communication and learning so hopefully that won't be a part of the scenario come August Uh, but I think kids in general are resilient and adaptable and they'll make these adjustments Uh, the younger kids 
a little more explanation. But I tell you what, we've got a camp going on right now, and we started out really small. Uh, it's a summer care camp at Little Flower. The kids are great. They they don't exhibit any, at least I haven't seen much. They're having fun, and they're uh, jumping in. They do have masks when they're forced to be within uh, a few feet of somebody else, uh, but they don't mind wearing them. They keep the masks on, even, they, even well, the little ones? Even, even uh, well, the three- and four-year-olds, that's been a trick. But uh, in general, yeah, the yeah, uh, five-, six-, seven-year-olds are keeping their masks on when they're playing. The only restriction is currently is if they're playing with somebody and they're less than six feet. They have to have a mask on. But if they're in our classrooms and spread out, they're uh, they're farther than six feet away. They don't need a mask. Oh, yeah. So. I was going to ask, because it, it does seem, I don't know, scary is the right word, especially for the younger kids. Uh, it, 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 would, it wouldn't create a very good, warm, welcoming learning environment to see masks, right. especially for a little child. And that's, and I know, yeah, if you're, if you're more than six feet, masks will come down. But that, that's one kind of concern I have for my little ones mm-hmm. where it's like, he's always asking, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. And not seeing faces can be kind of a little, you know, a little scary. jarring. Yeah. yeah. Scary for me. You ever been <laughs> in a, st- I really got kind of freaked out by all that. I didn't like it. Made me uncomfortable, and not being able to shake hands. Are you kidding? I mean, there's, there's especially things. for children. Yeah, I mean, I think I think of the hugs. little children. Hugs, all the hugging. Oh, or ch- I had this happen to me out on the playground. You know, so I've got a couple kids there that are kindergarten going to first. The first thing when I pulled up the other day, they ran out. They're running up to me to hug me, and I said, "Hey, wait, wait, no, you can't do that. It's very unnatural, you know." And uh, but it's it's one of the but they understood right away when I said that they under these six year olds understood what distancing meant because so, they've been exposed to it for a couple months. So if a four year old does that, who may not fully yet understand, should the teacher just uh, still embrace as, uh, maybe do like a, a because I got to think there's got to be some psychology. If the teacher refuses a hug, yeah. that four year old might be like, well, wait, does my yeah. teacher not love me? No. So so there. You know, uh, there's some gray areas. <laughs> wink, wink, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a little a four-year-old toddled up to me the other day, and uh, he was he's new at our school. And I said, "What's your name?" And he's he's there, and I I patted him on the shoulder. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. you you got to be reasonable. That's true. Yeah. So I, I, without thinking about making a judgment, I made a judgment that that kid needed a shoulder pat, and what that meant was, hey. You need some affection, and I, you know, I, and there's no risk, or you know, mm-hmm. an infinitesimal risk associated with my the action I took. Right. So, there, I think there's going to be those kind of accommodations going forward, and uh, you know, thank God that it's not affecting young people the way it is our older, older people, population. Yeah. Uh, it. it um, you know, you never let your guard down, and we are sanitizing, and we're doing everything, and I know all Catholic schools will, uh, but I'm glad our children are not in that demographic that puts them at high risk. Yeah, for sure. So for let's sure. Uh, switch gears a little bit um, and talk about the the other uh, big news story about, you mentioned George Floyd already, and, and seeing the, the social unrest that, yeah. that, that occurred afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, your advice from the psychology angle of children seeing what has, what happened, uh, if, especially if they saw the, the jarring and unbelievably tragic video, mm-hmm. um, and then everything that's transpired since, right. um, they may be confused. Um, what, what should, should, should parents 
should they sit down and have a, a, a serious conversation about it? Is, is, is that what should be occurring? Uh, does it depend on where they get their news source and how, maybe how they um, maybe attack it from that angle? Well, what's kind of your take on that? Well, imagine that you are a 10-year-old boy, say, and you watched that video of uh, Chauvin, Officer Chauvin, with his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes killing him slowly and what might be going to your head through your head as a 10 year old Caucasian kid Um, and then flip the scenario and you're a 10 year old African-American kid watching that video and what might be going through your head if that child is unsupervised watching that um, and not talked to any conclusion could come into that person's uh, psyche, and we've missed an opportunity for education, for um, understanding, for clearing up confusion, for allaying fear a, a lot. So I think that parents need to have discussions with their children about what they saw, uh, and if we go two days later, these same kids saw protests in Philadelphia and Seattle and different places and saw shop owners getting hit over the head with boards as they tried to defend their property and severely hurt. Um, so there was, there was a, uh, a lot of media kind of things that could really impact our kids, whether they're high school age or the 10-year-old that I just said or a four or five-year-old that might have wandered in or seen parents watching these videos. Uh, You know, a lot of times parents watching television, they don't really pay attention to who's coming through and who's seeing what. So in each of those scenarios, in each of those situations, uh, these were opportunities on our opportunities for parents and kids to have discussions about what's important, what... What, what are the sociological things to think about? What are the human things to think about? And what feelings do you have associated with what is going on in, in our community, too? I think there was some fear. There was, uh, there's certainly some uncertainty. There's confusion. There's uh, who are these, you know, who's down at the Capitol? So all these things uh, and, you know, um, can be addressed from a psychological point of view an educational point of view, a theological point of view. There's a lot of, a lot of things going on here now uh, where our children are forming values and ideals and attitudes that, um, that leaders and, parent, and parents are leaders and pastors and educators. Um, it's unfortunate we're not in school in some ways right now so that our teachers could, and kids could have discussions in classrooms all these things are opportunities for growth and development and uh, to make Springfield a better place, to make uh, our state a better place, to make our United States better. Are you concerned at all that come when school does return that you had these two major things happen, coronavirus, George Floyd, and students will just be off um, psychologically, yeah. socially, and um, and, and the impact that could have 
especially maybe in the short term for the school year mm-hmm. or, or maybe in the long term? And, and how do you as a principal educator, what do you tell your staff? I mean, should your staff on, on, on the first few weeks maybe flat out address these almost head on and, and let's, let's address these now since they're still going to be percolating uh, for, for a while? Well, that's a great question. And it's one that I've given some thought to. I think uh, this summer we're going to uh, definitely as a staff talk about these issues among ourselves and see how we want to approach it. Uh, I do think that you want to get kids back into some kind of normal routine uh, so that you want to focus on other things besides these two, uh, but you can't just put these off into a corner. You need to address it in the appropriate classes. Uh, So I believe there's a place for... um, definitely in certain classes to discuss both of these issues and you know you you probably take them on early in the year uh, and there's a time to get away from it and because I want to get some normalcy back into a school day so uh, yeah I think you do you talk about it in religion class and you you know I may address it in some way shape or form I think schools will definitely have uh, some training to do for staff and students on uh, some of these coronavirus uh, recommendations and regulations. Um, And then there might be some time for assemblies or guest speakers to come in on the issue of race relations and uh, systemic racism and and things like that. So again, opportunities. I think now is the time to plan and think uh, because we've got a few months to go until school gets going on August 17th. It's a balance that we're looking for, for our students. We talked about before the podcast, you had an amazing statistic about kind of distance learning versus in-school learning Mm -hmm. and the drastic impact we saw from just the the, the major drop-off in retention and learning Mm -hmm. when when we went to to online and, and distance learning. Tell, tell that to, to our listeners and, and really wh- why the importance of in-school learning is so vital for children. Well, the studies are just now coming out about effectiveness of distance learning in our nation. And some of the studies that I've seen so far say that uh, we uh, students over the period of time from March to the end of the school year lost about 50% of their English skills during that time period and up to 70% of their math skills eroded during that time. Uh, if you look back now, I, I think you would uh, conclude nationally that a lot of kids lost a lot of learning, uh, a lot of education during that time. That uh, In our area, I think the statistics would be better than that. Uh, I know in our school, I feel we probably hit uh, 80%, 85% that our kids were fully engaged, um, and then 10% were mostly, and then 5%, they're just off off doing their thing. Uh, I think that many school districts, it was the reverse of that, Mm. that there weren't many kids at home. I talked to an educator in the East St. Louis, St. Louis area, and out of 25 people in her kids in her classroom, out of exact, I'm sorry, 40 some because she had two sections of a fifth grade that four kids were online with her every day and 36 or so weren't. Mm-hmm. So you know you're going to see that in a lot of school districts in the country. 
So we lost, uh, kids lost a lot during that time. That's why I'm glad we're, it uh, looks like we're going to be back. On the other hand, we can catch those kids up. We can catch them up. We have to have a plan. The plan to catch up would be do a lot of review early on and get to the basics. Okay, what is it that they're going to need for this level, for this grade level, and to get them ready for the next? And we just have to do redouble our efforts to get them caught up. And it's you got to look at it from a classroom point of view, but also each individual child. So it's up to the educators, but it's also up to the parents. If they felt that their child uh, got left behind a bit, then uh, get extra help because there's a lot of schools willing to, to do whatever it takes to, to get them caught up. God forbid we have a second wave. Yeah. Let's, uh, we're going to make the assumption, let's say we have a second wave. Do you think we as a country, as school administrators, looked back to March and said, oh my gosh, parents were beyond stress, trying to balance everything. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned all those startling t- statistics of students barely get half the learning when they learn from home. You mentioned, especially the students who are in the poor communities, I think at Chicago Public Schools, you mentioned East St. Louis and St. Louis. Some of these kids might not even have a computer or even internet access. Um, so do you think if a second wave comes, us as a nation, administrators are going to say, listen, we realize there's a balance between safety, but we need these kids at school, and we're just going to maybe up our, up our safety precautions, but w- distance learning, we, we, we dealt with it because we knew it was kind of the end of the school year, yeah. and everyone kind of was like, okay, it's the end of the school year, but we're not doing this again. Yeah. Well, and, but I think that that's going to be out of our control. It's certainly out of, of our control as a uh, school principal of a local Catholic school. I can't unilaterally make that decision. True. There, there are going to be people in... Uh, in political offices that are going to be making those calls. But I do think the pressure on them to uh, have kids stay in school will be greater than it was back in March of this past year. Uh, So, you know, I I do think that these studies will have an impact on that. I think that uh, school administrators and telling the ISBE, the Illinois State Board of Education, who advises the governor, you know, they wouldn't have an impact on that. So I do think they're, and, and the parents having a groundswell of, hey, the kids need to be in school. Let's make a more of an effort to get them in there with increased uh, awareness of health-related issues and how to mitigate the problems. Let's keep kids in school and we best hope, we can. And we hope that is for the whole school year. Dr. Bill Mordock. Thank you so much for coming in and all your expert opinions and analysis. Uh, First of all, thank you as well as as being an administrator. Shout out to all our teachers for all their hard work over the past several months and a lot more hard work going into the school year. I know you have a lot of planning. And again, things change by the hour and day. So kudos to you at Little Flower and all your staff and of all of our Catholic educators. Uh, This has been Dive Deep. If you'd like more podcasts, head over to dio.org slash podcast. We wish you well, and we'll see you next time here on Dive Deep.